Well, hello everyone. Uh, it is great to not see you all this week. Uh, I hope that you are enjoying yourselves. The first activity I have, you need to go get your Bible. Uh, you're not going to be able to do much with this sermon without your Bible next to you. So you have 30 seconds, go get your Bibles. Uh, you can pause this, do whatever you need to do, um, and then come back to us. That'd be awesome because we're going to need that today. Um, I've just been really enjoying seeing all the different services that are, have been coming up on my newsfeed of a Sunday. It's been great to see a bunch of different churches and and so I hope that you're enjoying those and thank you for joining us here if you're joining us for the first time hello and welcome um, I want to just send out my personal hello um, we're on the final chapter of Nehemiah wow we've we've made it to the end chapter 13 uh, and I have the privilege to get to share some of my thoughts with that so before I get too uh, far into that though let me quickly pray uh, pray for me um, and pray that God will work through me so let me quickly pray Dearly Father, thank you so much for this opportunity to be here. Lord, I just want to pray that you will just be really um, opening up the hearts for everyone here to hear what you're going to say to them, hopefully through the words that I'm going to say, Lord. I pray that you will prompt me and lead me and that I'll be diligent to share what you're going to have to say through me today. In Jesus' name, amen. Cool. All right. So 30 seconds is up. You've got uh, hopefully chapter 13 of Nehemiah, open and ready to go. Um, I'll be doing a bit of paraphrasing, a bit of reading, um, and so you can follow along, and hopefully um, you'll have the slides just here as well, um, so you can follow along with the passages there as well. Chapter 13. On that day, the book of Moses was read aloud in the hearing of the people, and there it was found written that no Ammonite or Moabite should ever be admitted into the assembly of God because they had not met the Israelites with food and water but had hired Balaam to call a curse down on them our God however turned the curse into a blessing when the people heard this law they excluded um, from Israel all who were of foreign descent um, let's just unpack that a little bit uh, so if we jump back to Deuteronomy um, you'll see in ver- uh, chapter 23 of Deuteronomy that uh, as the Israelites are leaving Egypt, they uh, are obviously thirsty and hungry. And as they're passing through, they see the Ammonites and Moabites. Um, and they would probably be, hey, can you give us some food? Can you give us some water? But except for doing that, they, they did the opposite of that. Um, and they didn't actually do that. They actually even went so far to actually send a sorcerer called Balaam to actually curse them. Curse them as a nation and as a people. Now, uh, I'm really glad my Bible study has actually been going through Genesis, so it's been really great to see God's promises and, and seeing the blessing that they actually bestow on the Israelites. But it's awesome to see that God can actually work through someone else's cursing. Like If someone's cursing you, God can actually make that into good, and we see that through the Israelites um, as they go. Um, I know uh, at first reading, I, I actually freaked out a bit about this because um, on the very small chance that I have some relation somehow, I don't know how it would work, um, to the Ammonites or Moabites, um, am I excluded to the assembly of God? Um, that was definitely a thought. Or are people today still excluded from the assembly of God because of their, their heritage? Uh, that's most definitely not what it's, it's trying to say here. Um, don't, don't get caught into that. Um, what it's actually trying to say is that these people were actually actively against the people of God. They chose not to follow um, our our God and Heavenly Father. They chose to actively go against them, even so far as actually cursing them. So um, it was actually more more of a, because you're choosing not to follow our, our God, that's why they weren't accepted into the assembly of God. Um, so just to sort of 
clarify that a little bit. Um, our next uh, our next bit is from verse four, and we we hear uh, about the leader who was actually established after Nehemiah had left, and that's Elishab, um, and he was a priest. Um, and he was put in charge of the storerooms um, of the house of God. He also had a friend, uh, Tobiah. And what he did with that friend was that he actually put him up in the assembly uh, and he pulled out a couple of things. So it says that they, they removed um, some grains, some offerings, the incense and the temple articles um, and the tithes of the grains, the new wine and a, and a bunch of other different articles that were that were in the room. Um at first glance, you probably don't think too much of that. Uh, I know I didn't. Um, I was like, well, if someone's in need, if they don't have a, a place to stay, then it would be really good for them to have housing. Um, but once again, we come back to this whole thing. If uh, Tobiah is actually an Ammonite. So same sort of thing. He was actively against what they were trying to do with the assembly. And specifically, this was a place stored up for all of the different articles that they needed to have in that room. So although um, uh, Elisha was trying to do a good thing, he actually was actually going against what they needed to do. Um, I think that this was all really profound as well because Elisha was actually a leader and he was someone who was put in charge. And people look up to leadership. People look up to what people are saying and what they're doing and the actions that they have and they carry really significant weight. And so if someone's seeing that Ammonite come in and be put up to such a high level that they're even getting rid of all that stuff, I think that's pretty significant. So then we, we see in uh, verses 6 uh, that um, Nehemiah goes back to um, Babylon and he hangs out with um, King Artaxerxes for a little while. Um, and then he does return eventually. He, he, he go, goes and requests um, to go back um, to see how everyone's going. Um, and he actually finds out about what Elisha was doing. And um, naturally, because he had set up all of this and he sort of left, he left the people in a really great spot in the previous chapters. Everyone was really happy and um, everyone was like, the wall's finished and this is all going great. Um, but to come back to this, uh, you start to see Nehemiah's frustrations um, starting to come through. Um, so he starts to go through um, and he was really disappointed. He threw out all Tobiah's stuff and, and he restored the room back to where it was um, in order to keep um, doing what God had wanted them to do, what the people had do, um, done for the time. Um, because all of this was happening as well, the Levites who were the people who were meant to be looking after all this stuff, they had to go back and they had to go and farm and they had to keep going back to doing what they weren't actually meant to do. They were They were meant to be looking after all these things and and we see that um we see that in verses 10 10 through and then what he does is the um, nehemiah starts to slowly bring back a sense of order and a sense of uh, i guess normality in in that place um as to what what has happened um and he goes and he starts appointing different people i'm not going to attempt all of the names because uh <laughs> it's going to be very hard so um you see all those people um in 12 through um, down to 13, they, they start establishing different people to continue on in those roles that they were in. Um, he's still crying out to God. This is a really cool thing. Uh, he, verse 14, remember me for this, my God. He still, he still wants to talk to God. He still wants to have that um, connection with God because he wants to be able to fulfill his, his duties. Um, we also go in a little bit more depth with the Sabbath as well. Um, and and it's really interesting. They started pressing wine um, with their feet and 
um, and they started selling things. Um, they, they even had some people from Tyr come out um, who were living um, in Jerusalem at the time. Um, and what they were doing was they were selling a bunch of stuff um, on the Sabbath day. And you probably start getting similar pictures to what we see in, in the New Testament with Jesus. Um, I think it's very similar to what Nehemiah has done. Um, he actually sees all that and goes, no, that's not what we should be doing on the Sabbath. The Sabbath is meant to be a holy day where we're acknowledging and keeping God's laws. And so he actually goes against his, like, his actual words in verse 17. It's like, what is this wicked thing you are doing? Desecrating the Sabbath day. Didn't your ancestors do the same things? So that our God brought all this calamity on us, on this city? And he's talking to the people going, why? Why are we falling back into those old ruts, those, those ways of, of, you know, what we, we're not meant to. This is not how we're meant to be. Um, it goes on in verse 19 to talk about how the, the people kept coming. And so he was like, nah, I'm going to lock these gates um, and you're not going to be able to come in. And I'm going to set some guards up and use the Levites to look over the gates and <laughs> and they're like, all right, Paul, you can shut the gate. That's totally fine. We'll just camp outside. Um, and so he's just like, no, nope, that's not going to happen. So he said, if you do that again, I'm going to arrest you. Um, <laughs> it's pretty clever thinking, but um, needless to say, they didn't do that again. So they didn't want to get arrested. So he, he was really trying to highlight the importance of the Sabbath and keeping that day holy. Um, and that's something that I've been really reflecting on myself. And we'll, we'll come back to that. Um, the third thing um, that the what people were doing, the people of Judah were doing, was that, and we see this in verse 23, was that they were marrying different women. So they they were marrying people from Ashod or Ammon and Moab. And half of their children spoke the language of Ashod and, and all the different languages, but they weren't speaking the language of Judah. Um, and so once again, we're seeing that almost pull away from that culture and through that relationship uh, that they established with God and that connection, that covenant that they had, they started pulling away and they started they started doing things that were different. And he referenced again Solomon. Um, you've, you know nothing about King Solomon. He had a bunch of different wives who came from a variety of different um, backgrounds and they led him astray. Um, and he, it's, it's actually referred to, um, if we look into just uh, the second part of um, verse 26, um, he was loved by his God, this is Solomon, and God made him king over all Israel, but even he was led into sin by the foreign women. So if he was held so highly, how how are, I guess, normal people meant to work with that? So I think the biggest thing that Nehemiah would have been struggling with here is if I flick back to chapter 10, and you might want to flick with me, if you see in chapter 10, verse 30, they do pretty much... Two verses goes through these these three things. It says, one, we promise not to give our daughters in marriage to the people around us and take their daughters for our sons. They were doing that. Um, two, the neighboring people um, bringing merchants or grains to sell on the Sabbath. We will not buy from them. Um, we'll keep the Sabbath a holy day. Um, but they're not doing that. Uh, these are the words that the people are saying. Um, the third one, um, verse 22 we assume the responsibilities for carrying out the commands to give a third of a shekel each year for the servants in the house of God, for the bread set out of the table, for the regular grain offerings and the burnt offerings, for the offerings on the Sabbath, at the new moon feasts, and the appointed festivals for the holy offerings, for sin offerings to make atonement for Israel and for all the duties of the house of God. 
once again, they weren't even looking after those. They weren't even looking after the Levites by doing that and sacrificing their grains. They were, they were very much um, neglecting everything that they had previously said in the other chapters. And so, as you can imagine, the frustration that Nehemiah would have, um, I definitely uh, empathised a lot. Um, we, if we keep reading back in chapter thirteen, sorry, we're doing a lot of jumping around today. Um, we we actually see how far that frustration pushed Nehemiah. Um, it actually brought him to the pack of the, the the actual realization that he would um, he'd beat some of the men and pull some of their hair, which seems like a really extreme thing. Um, I definitely thought it was an, an extreme thing, um, but I think some of me also thinks about Nehemiah and I think about where he's sitting. Nehemiah was conscious of what God had done in the past and and all of the things that had happened in their history and he didn't want that to bestow. They'd just seen the wall being like, you know, a couple of years back being torn down and the exile of the people wandering through the desert for 40 years. He knew what would happen if they weren't to follow God's God's law. And so out of that out of that place, I think he was trying to warn the people, saying, look, if you don't do what, this is going to be worse. Like, as in what I'm doing to you in your earthly bodies, imagine what God could do to us if we're not following him. Um, that's not to, like scare, like, scare tactics, but hopefully to try to guide them back into the right path in the, in the, in the right direction. Um, although that feels very extreme, but he was trying to, trying to lead them back. He was trying to, trying to get them to go back to what they, they had done. And it finishes off um, once again with uh, them going through and, and purifying uh, uh, the priests and, and get everything um, back into uh, an order that, w- that that had previously been established. So it's a bit of a, a weird ending. I sort of get the privilege of talking at the very end and it sort of doesn't feel like a very good end. It's like a, a, a story or a movie that sort of finishes and, and you go, oh, I don't really quite understand what happened there. But I think it's still really important for us to read let me talk about a couple of things that um i pulled out of it and hopefully you can you can um empathize with me a couple of things i was really thinking about thinking about strongly and had a lot of conversations with people about was the sabbath um now it's very clear colossians 2 16 to 17 says therefore do not let anyone judge you by what you eat or you drink or with regard to um, a religious festival, a new moon celebration, or a Sabbath day. These are the shadow of the things that were to come. The reality, however, is found in Christ. So we know that the Sabbath is something that we don't need to practice as as the Jewish people would do. Um, We can understand that from the New Testament writings. But to say that we fully nullify the Sabbath and not to think about and not to hold reverence for at least a day is something that I've been really wrestling with um, because I think I just blase pass it off and go, well, you know, I'm probably doing a 12-hour period on a Saturday because I'm not working and then a 12-hour period on Sunday where I'm not working. So that's like a Sabbath or like the combination of my Bible readings and my prayer probably will add up to like a 24-hour period maybe like in, in any given week. So maybe that's my that's my Sabbath. I hadn't really put much thought to it. But as I was reading this and hearing the significance of the Sabbath for these people, I think it started to carry a little bit more weight for me. And I think it's going to make me reflect a little bit more on how I work and how I operate, especially on my days of rest, 
especially on my weekends when I'm trying to recuperate and recover and hopefully get out to continue God's work and preaching to his people. But to take that, I don't know, maybe just a little bit more seriously, I'm not going to beat myself up and I don't want you to beat yourself up to be like, you're not needing, like you need to be sitting and just reading your Bible like every second of the day on a Saturday or a Sunday in order to fulfill that. It's not, that's not what I'm trying to say. I think it's just to, I think for me and maybe for you, it's made me definitely think more about the the Sabbath um, and about keeping that, keeping that holy. So what can we learn? What's the, what's the three takeaways that we can, well, these are the three takeaways. There's probably heaps more. Hopefully there's more. What are the three takeaways that I think we could we can take away from here? The first one that I wanted to talk about was how are we resting in God? How are we acknowledging what God has done and how are we going to then reflect what he has done for us? How are you keeping your Sabbath? What are you doing on your day or your weeks to reflect and think and ponder about where we are as Christians, where we are going, where we have been, and what we're currently doing. Question two. What are the things in your life, just like the Judeo people, what are the things in your life that need realignment? What are those little tweaks that you need to make? What is that, you know, little bit of humility that you need to start pouring back into your life? Where is that 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 sense of how am I going to deal with my anger today? What is that little bit of alignment that needs to draw you back closer to God? Was that interaction with my peer or colleague appropriate? Where are those things that are going to line us back into where God's plan is? Because just like the Judean people, we're going to we're going to stuff up. We're going to fall short of God's glory. So we need to constantly be checking that. The final one is who are the people in your life that just like Nehemiah, who are you going to lead back to Christ? Who are the ones that you're going to go, hey, look, you're not keeping the Sabbath, and you said that you're going to keep the Sabbath, so why aren't you doing it? Now, that's obviously a weird, weird context today, but what is the, who are the people that you're keeping accountability with? Who are the people who have reached out to you and said, hey, I need your help in this? Who are the people that you're going to be like, hey, you haven't really been doing what you said you're going to do? I think those those questions are the things that we should be thinking about. Um, hopefully, don't go and beat them up and pull out their hair. That's probably too extreme. Don't do that. Um, but yeah, but think about a good way about them doing that. That'd be really good. Anyway, I think that's enough. I'm going to pray, and then um, we'll keep going through our service. Dearly Father, thank you so much um, for Nehemiah, and thank you for the lovely picture that we see um, of a town and a, and a people being restored. Um, and thank you that they are human, Lord, like we are, and that they, they do stumble and fall. Um, and thank you for people like Nehemiah who are trying to lead them back to you, God. Um, Lord, I pray that we can be those people to people um, who are around us. I pray that we can um, find those little adjustments, those little tweaks. Sometimes in our lives, Lord, they might need to be big turns. Um, Lord, back to you. But I pray that you'll help us identify those. And uh, I pray all these things in your name. Amen.